0: Mike walsh and you're listening to between worlds you know I was looking around my home the other day and I was literally trying to do an inventory of how many appliances were now Talking to my Wi-Fi network, <laughs> and uh, I was, I was actually getting slightly alarmed, uh, and I thought, is there any end to this? <laughs> well, I mean, you're responsible uh, partly for, well, for a number of these devices. So, uh, is there other things that you think in our life should not be connected?
1: You know, when we started in 2015, 2016, you know, if you will be going on at CES, everything was connected. I always remember uh, an interview with a Wired magazine that told me, is our toilet paper going to be connected? I would say. Um, it is not going to stop, but it is going to be more meaningful.
0: Right. Where where does meaning come from, from connectivity? It's got to be more than just turning things on or off, or, or being able to control them from Alexa.
1: Correct. I do believe that the interface between the unconscious behavior that we have with our devices and what that behavior can drive in the broader context of our life is going to be the value that consumers are going to recognize.
0: Right, so it's the link between the device and our behavior that's the key. Correct.
1: And something that you do on a daily basis and then you're absolutely not even aware of. And especially if we think about personal devices, then you can totally imagine how they can impact your health, your life, in various ways that you're not even uh, aware of. And I think that is the element when you can get that aha moment. Oh, wow. That that kind of silent observer in the context of connected is now adding value to my life and maybe even my health. So I think that is where the the golden nugget sits.
0: I'm having a cup of coffee uh, with my old friend uh, Alexandro Grabelov, uh, who's the uh, head of digital ventures uh, for personal healthcare at uh, yeah. Yeah. at Philips. And it's it's great to see you after all these years. I feel like we've still stayed in touch because of the wonderful world of social media, but. Uh, We actually met in Amsterdam. I think it was almost seven or eight years ago. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, My uh, my role at that time was, uh, you know, we were all looking at these personal devices that you're mentioning, that you have a full house of, and uh, yeah, I was very inspired by uh, by you at that time. You were looking at the trends, the trends that shape the behavior of people, etc. And I felt that. That is such a relevant topic for for Philips in general, and uh, every innovator, and that is where we met. And from that day onwards, I, I have been following I, I, you. Yeah. I was
0: uh, I was really just getting started myself then, and uh, I, I know one of my biggest interests back in 2010, uh, 2011 was, was China. Yeah. You know, a, and it was it was an interesting time for Philips too, because it was around that time that Philips decided to split up the company, divest a lot of its. Uh, it actually decided to divest a lot of its uh, consumer devices to Chinese companies. And, yep. yeah. Uh, yeah, It, w- it was an interesting pivot point.
1: It did. It did. And if you see, th- if you think about that, and it is just um, six, seven years. Yeah, you're right. Uh, now, uh, Philips is very different company. Uh, we are now a health tech company. Yeah. We um, divested um, our businesses like TV and MP3 players and everything else that we felt is not part of the core strategy. Like even lighting. Uh, even our uh, Philips lighting which is very very highly profitable and good strong business is not anymore part of us. What we are now focusing on is what we call health continuum. So how can we as a Philips bring our personal health devices as well as our healthcare business and create those meaningful touch points through a connected digital health from healthy living, prevention, diagnostics, treatment, and post-treatment care at home, so you can imagine very different <laughs> company right now.
0: I, I want to come back to something you said uh, just at the, when we started talking, which I thought was really fascinating, was that the real the real value for these connected devices is what they collect from our unconscious behavior. Um, because I, I, I kind of feel like we're at the very early days of our ability to, in a way, weaponize the Internet of Things with the, our knowledge of neuroscience, behavioral economics, Correct. You know, understanding how to nudge and influence people's behavior.
1: Correct. I think you're right about it. I think um, uh, what we're seeing in our day-to-day work is that uh, you first see the level of resistance and skepticism. Then there is probably also the lack of clinical evidence is uh, in some cases that, uh, you know, don't bring that very critical partner in equation which is a professionals, uh, a doctors um, uh, who are a part of the equation. So I think where companies are a little bit failing is to connect those dots that right. device and a professionals with the connectivity can actually bring those maybe indirect diagnostics before some big clinical studies are being you know executed and but, but it's not
0: it's not just the the professionals it's all the the years of professional research yes. and the knowledge of causation and that certain behaviors lead to certain conditions correct
1: and i think you're right it was probably kind of I don't want to say a single-minded, but it was let's literally single-directional. I think the traditional way how certain things are being taught at schools and universities are now being challenged right. by the behaviors of that, of, of let's say patients or just the consumers. Yeah. And that is a very difficult thing to swallow at this moment. And
0: also because I think for the first time in history we have so much data on behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not just we're not just talking about trials that involve a, a sample of people. We, you literally have millions and millions of people Whose behavioral data can be linked to specific health outcomes?
1: Correct. And I think you're tapping into something very interesting here. Uh, when I speak with the, uh, with the professionals, they will tell you one thing Oh, I wish if I could ask these 10 questions to my patient, which are nothing to do with maybe what they came from, what they come from, and, and what is the actual topic of conversation of certain diagnostics. And when you ask the question, Why? Well, that richness of information can inform a decision that I want to give. And then that triggers me, wait a minute, half of those questions we can answer with the data that is being collected around us. So wouldn't it be be amazing if some professionals would have that thing on an on a, on a, on a, on a iPad, just uh, you know, even before you enter that, that office, yeah. and being able to make much more precise diagnostics and shape the opinion towards
0: you. We're starting to see these, these new type health facilities. Uh, have you seen these guys forward? Yeah, uh, I in heard about it, yeah, in San Francisco yeah, and LA. Amazing. Yeah, I mean it's like going to an Apple store. Yeah. But the, the first thing you do when you walk in is that your devices sync with this kind of video wall that shows all your diagnostics. And before you even get in, there's this, you know, you see literally the relationship between your data, your behavior, and your health.
1: Correct. And I believe this is where I think the future is. And I do. I'm I'm also not naive, thinking that everyone will be ready to adapt to that to the level that we might want to expect. But think about this when are you the most invested in your health? Probably when it's too late. (laughs) So if the preventative aspect can be something, if you can show the value of that data, that you, by the way, control, so you always need to be in control of it, it just opens up such a different horizons for consumers, and I think that's the element that we started seeing as uh, as a lowest barrier to entry when it comes to uh, people adapting uh, those products.
0: This uh, this brings me to the the story I was hoping you'd tell me about, uh, which is about kids, because uh, I mean this is the ultimate way of preventing problems if you yeah. start young. And when I first saw Wi-Fi on the toothbrush, I thought oh, it's kind of interesting, but you know I wasn't sure if I would use it but you know if I look at my friends who are parents who are trying to get their kids to brush their teeth (laughs) it absolutely makes sense if you've got some kind of way of gamifying the the experience which is exactly what you you and your team did well actually you know Mike
1: you're you're coming into a Probably one of the the funniest project I ever worked. It was a very complex one, and it's indeed it's a uh, Philips Sonicare uh, for kids connected product. So, uh, you know, the challenge, the insight was very clear, and it was uh, pretty strong. And that is number one: kids hate brushing. And number two, like parents can't even and put them this in. This is a,
0: really uh, universal, and across exactly, cultures, right?
1: across the globe. And another one is, even if they go to a, a to a bathroom and they start brushing, they don't brush properly. They hold the device in one place. They don't do two minutes of brushing, which is recommended. They don't cover all other areas. So the question was, how can we help that? Because we were in preventative business, yeah? And preventative health. That is, I believe, the first proof point of connected bringing the value. So we designed this uh, character called Sparkly, and we work with uh, external professionals that were in the gaming industry. We work with the uh, um, uh psychology of uh, interaction of kids with the attention etc and we created a very complex algorithm which allows you to link the behavior of the kids to that sparkly it's a kind of tamagotchi type of uh, story where you nurture your um, your little sparkly who is very uh, universally adopted I can right. tell you kids in Japan love it the kids in the US love it and then what happens you create that um emotional connection with the character uh, which leads you to behavioral changes you're rewarded with great brushing so you get all these beautiful awards that you, uh, you can use either to feed sparkly or dress undress and put all this nice stuff around it so you have that continuous engagement but what happened especially in one focus group a four year old girl uh, or five year old girl was saying something in the lines of Our mother was saying, if I correctly remember, that they didn't want sparkly to die. Can you imagine that? Like it was that story, if if you don't brush the teeth, sparkly gets sad, it starts getting sick. So we were started coming up with those concepts of bringing learnings of uh, food that you eat and impact of your, on your oral health oh, right. uh, because you can feed sparkly. So it's not,
0: it's not just brushing your teeth. No, you could, you it could. goes beyond. Right.
1: So dental professionals were working with us. Uh, their biggest thing was kids love candies, kids love soda and stuff like that and no matter what you do they would like to eat chocolate but if sparkly would know that you have eaten a chocolate which is possible to do sparkly is going to tell you that his teeth hurts and it's sticky and he needs to brush the teeth and he will not play with you so kids would sit in a living room and they were like oh my god we need to brush sparkly's teeth in order to change this does
0: place immense responsibility on on you though because of just how young these people are And, and i mean we were speaking about this before but there's even a risk that if you don't think about how you manage usage, kids will actually overbrush their teeth. Yeah,
1: it was it's a very or, or brush their teeth all night. It's a very, very good point, Mike. There is always a danger of and I'm very big opponent on digital, obviously, but I'm also not a parent, but I'm responsible in a way to say, you know, you can't just give a, a kid an iPad and think, OK, I'm not uh, going to be a parent anymore. And they will, you know. So what we have done is there are two things. First, there is a cat. Uh, you need to brush just what is necessary, and you will earn the rewards. Everything mm-hmm. after that will not generate any benefit to you or a sparkly so kids learn that very quickly so they don 't do a brushing for the sake of earning rewards but there was one element that we didn 't know, and we needed to introduce as a new feature after we launched the product. Kids were playing with sparkly in their beds, so they didn 't want to go to a to a bed, so we needed to uh create a feature called the sparkly sleeping time that allows parents to disable sparkly so sparkly goes to bed, and then kids <laughs> don't play so yes we try to it's do a, that it's
0: a great position to be in a situation where your kids not only are willing to brush your teeth they won't want to stop brushing their teeth.
1: correct correct so I think yeah it's gonna
0: be fascinating to see where this goes because uh, I mean one of the, the books that really influenced me many years ago was the diamond age mm. did mm. you ever read that by me I, I,
1: I heard about that book yeah. I know the synopsis of the book it's, as well uh, Mike, yeah
0: it's very interesting because this is young girl who finds this um, essentially this digital primer sort of a yeah. proto Kindle yeah. but the system was able to pick up from the archetypes of her childhood yeah. so it told stories based on the actual people in her life yeah uh, and so you kind of think where this could go in the future that rather than sparkly as a universal character it actually looks like your family dog correct or, yeah you know we're, we're, we're going to be able to bring more and more of our knowledge of neuroscience and behavior yes. into driving behavior, obviously with responsibility. Correct,
1: and it has to be like that. And I'm saying with kids, we need to be careful, but think about that, bringing that to the concept of adults, yeah. where, where that responsibility is in you so that um, uh, together company and the individual could tailor something towards the greater benefit, especially if we talk about certain diseases and stuff. So this is where I think we can we can come. So, so this is where notch. these
0: devices actually are in direct communication with um, medical health professionals. Yes.
1: Yes. So I would say a lot of stuff is happening, as we all know about digital health um, in general, and um, and uh, it was it was very interesting to see when that trend started coming. I mean, first it was a big resistance of all the. Health professionals, what is that? Are you guys taking uh, jobs away from me? Like, is it going? Am I going to be replaced by the device? You know this thing.
0: Well, you guys have actually launched a tele dentistry app, which, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. which is amazing for Philips, right? You've uh, actually done. It's almost like a Netflix for for dentistry.
1: You're right. I mean, we we so in our in our journey of also transforming ourselves a little bit from selling a boxes to selling a true solutions, and connectivity plays the big big role. And then we said, okay, wouldn't it be amazing if. Um, if the uh, connected product can also trigger you uh, to preventatively engage with the uh, actual professionals. And of course, there are multiple stages to that, but I think the, the first, the, the easiest way was, if I have an issues and I want the reassurance, or maybe I have an urgent need of uh, you know a gum inflammation or something in my uh, mouth that, that bothers me, or maybe my brushing behavior leads a device to trigger you to preventatively take an image, connect with the dentist from a distance and just check something because we know that you have gum recession mm-hmm. but on the other side you're pressing and scrubbing too strong there you might be actually damaging your teeth unconsciously that is where teledentistry comes in a story where you can with couple of images connect with a dentist anytime anywhere and get the licensed dentist providing you an advice uh, in, in a 24 hours, which usually results into an action of seeing your dentist and, and, and preventatively taking care of you, an issue.
0: You can sort of, like you're seeing this in the medical field as well, you know, general practitioners is that the sort of the initial point for triaging people yeah. uh, is going to be apps yeah. rather than people. And, and then in the way that you go then see a specialist for follow-up care, Correct. that whether you've got a cold or you've got a problem with your teeth most likely our first interaction in the 21st century will be via screen.
1: Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. I think um, uh, you see that uh, that trend uh, happening. Uh, I also, you know, if, especially if you look at the healthcare industry, where yeah. AI is also taking a big role. So I think uh, then... The
0: insurers are going to drive this too, obviously. That's
1: something very interesting now. So I, I see that as, a, we see that as a kind of three different players here. There is a consumer or a patient, there is a dental professional or professional let's say uh, just a uh, generic let's say a uh, healthcare professional and then you have a payer you have the third aspect of the equ- equation where, where the insurance companies in a digital health are doing uh, fantastic things they're giving away as you know apple watches for diabetic patients yeah, or, or or uh, or or uh, fitbits and and this is
0: not altruism i mean one of the most fascinating um things that happened in recent times was when john hancock announced they would no longer sell life insurance policies unless they were combined with the vitality program so unless you were essentially providing information about your exercise patterns, you wouldn't even qualify for life insurance
1: Mike I think people are not even aware of the fact how quickly is this coming so three years back just having an insurance and a product in a kind of joint thinking like a hardware product and insurance was already kind of big big wow when we move into a connected <laughs> thing, it's happening all over the place. Like, ju- let me give this this data set. A diabetes type two is the biggest issue in the United States when it comes to a cost of healthcare and yeah. stuff. And it's, we love our sugar. And we love that. And we, and, uh, and now we are in, uh, in Seattle here and you, you can look around and see how it, uh, what is the behavior of majority of people. But what happens? It costs about 20,000 US dollars, insurance company, a patient per year. Huh? and it's about nine to ten thousand that you can prevent based on the behaviors. So you can imagine if you even give a device that can track some of this, incentivize you with a credit of a thousand dollars that you can earn if you do it. Every employer and every insurance company is already looking at the ways of how to prevent uh, the diabetic outcome. So
0: this, this toothbrush will, will actually track that someone is actually brushing their teeth and brushing it properly?
1: So yes, yeah, so if you, if you take that from a generic thing of diabetes and stuff, now let's bring it to even a, an oral health oral health is um, uh, we, we know uh, how much you brush and we know that the preventative brushing leads to uh, an outcomes that are uh, that are positive so even in Philips we have So, so it reduces many,
0: the risk of diabetes
1: could be in future there is a link between uh, oral healthcare care and diabetes there is a link between oral health healthcare care and cardiovascular diseases there are there are a lot of studies going in that 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 right. area but even if you just take from the oral health specific point, but better brushing and uh, removal of negative uh, bacteria in your mouth, the, the harmful bacteria in your mouth is already impacting your systemic health, then you can imagine that that data can be used to help you to drive maybe in future, who knows, maybe your insurance costs down. Uh, and that is where the win-win comes uh, for everyone. So you're in a control. You of that.
0: guys are actually doing something in this area,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So we are in a we are in a in a very uh, early stages of. Um, not only um, uh, bundling our products with insurance, but giving a chance to people to actually uh, share their data uh, within, uh, with an insurance company. And I'll give you, I'll give you one example, which is in Europe, already launched uh, earlier this year. So it is um, dent- uh, that is a uh, uh, dental insurance in Netherlands. It's called uh, Onvz, a smaller insurance company, very innovative, open to new trends and stuff. Mm. And they want to be in a frontier of prevention. They called Philips and said, guys, we want to work with you with oral healthcare, we want to use your Sonicare connected product, and uh, and basically give it for free for our, uh, for people that are in our uh, police. And with, uh, with obviously ability for them to share data, they didn't do it mandatory, they just gave that chance. Thinking that in, in, in next phase of that program, they could modify the package based on your yes. usage, And it was a highly successful program. Now, we are expanding that in another uh, countries and uh, one big uh, big thing that is going to happen here in the u.s is our uh, partnership with a leading dental insurance company in the united states and it's uh, yeah it's coming up in, uh, in a couple of days
0: ba- back to our earlier discussion this is why i do think we will absolutely have connected toilets <laughs> because those connected toilets will be measuring exactly your health based on yeah. uh, your uh, waste products yeah. and they will be directly if you have a big night out you should Probably have some spare samples you could pour in in the morning <laughs> so your insurance doesn't go up. Oh, uh,
1: Mike, I think you know, uh, <laughs> there is so much stuff uh, that uh, indeed at home we do that actually can lead uh, into our digital health prevention uh, <laughs> domain. And I think, yeah, something like that is, uh, might be a reality soon. Yeah.
0: You know, well, one of the other things that fascinates me by, by, about all of this is, is sort of the journey that uh, you and your team and, and Philips has been on because it's uh, a lot of the different audiences and companies I speak to are struggling with this idea of trans- digital transformation, especially if they're traditional manufacturers or they make products, suddenly they need to embrace a culture that is more around services and data and, and, and algorithmic thinking.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, um, even if you just look beyond Philips for a second, if you just look at the the, the industry in general, I mean, disruption of um, business models where you go from selling a a product to serving serving selling a a service or even a solution where you bring professionals in in a story has been very very uh, difficult. Like everyone talks about it, everyone would like to do that. It was a kind of field that was reserved for a software companies, and we all kind of sit on a side and say, well, there are softwares. Well, with a digital thing, we are all becoming a software company right now. So indeed, that is happening. Transformation is extraordinarily hard. But what I can tell you is that there are proof points right now. Uh, happening uh, even in our organization uh, like if you look at our uh, sleep business for example you can see a devices that we sell for sleep apnea that are connected with a healthcare a professional where the data drives literally your changes in the sleeping behaviors that can be extraordinarily harmful if you if you don't sleep properly and then if you look at it oral healthcare and stuff you start seeing like what would be if I know that You and your family, for example, could design a package of products around you because your highest risk is let's say gum health and gum recession and bleeding gums. So you have certain so we could offer you a customized, a personalized solution for you that has a device elements in it and then dynamic uh, coverage based on your data usage where you can just blend uh, and pay for only what you need right. based on your prevention. I think that's a kind of ultimate uh, goal that uh, that we can all have. So,
0: you know, to transition to that kind of organization, what kind of culture do you yeah. think you need?
1: I think there are... Can there, you
0: change culture?
1: I. It's a million-dollar question, (laughs) and I I can tell you even uh, we're on that big journey, and I think there are about five battles, or or let's say four battles that you need to take. One is obviously uh, a strategic decision. So let's say if your executives are top-down, very clear, with a vision where you can have they can already set up the tone. And Let's imagine that that's a fundamental thing and it's in place. The second one is do you have the right mindset of people, Right. and I can tell you not many traditional companies do have.
0: What is the right mindset?
1: I think we all talk about agility, we all talk about failing fast and learning, and we all talk about uh, not, not having that fear of failure. Well, that's just the talk. Unless you have people that are coming from, let's say, more of a startup type of environment, that are saying, I don't need $10,000 $10,000 to, to make a prototype. I can make it with, uh, you know, $300. And I will just go outside and test a couple of things. So it's more of an fail.
0: experimental mindset. Correct.
1: So I think yeah. the agileness of the large organizations is the key thing. We need to stay away from we can only invite and invented in inside here, so we need to be able to talk to the large and small companies. So right. being agile Partners and performance focus but yeah. ecosystems is the key word. Yeah. And being a large organization is very difficult talking to a small startup and putting all your requirements on a startup <laughs> is going to bury them. So nice that to is meet you. Meet my legal team. Yeah, th- Here we go. Yes, exactly. And then the procurement comes on top of it. So I think that's one thing. Uh, budgeting is a very interesting element. How do you secure the budget for those type of things, not to be influenced with a day-to-day business performance. So it's a very different way of doing transformational part and doing a part of a day-to-day business. So can you really secure the budget of that team to go and learn and explore everything, even if you need to look at your bottom line along the year?
0: How, how do you do that without just putting all your personal credibility online every time you, you get yeah. that budget? So
1: I think um, I think it comes a lot from a, from a, a vision of, uh, of a leaders on the top of the organization that recognize the fact that being more kind of uh, more in a domain of venturing and exploration requires different models but there has
0: to be some accountability because otherwise you end up with something like microsoft research or bell labs oh you know yeah. you, you just have academics yes. pursuing academic academia you,
1: you're right so there is a difference between i would say fundamental research which becomes a uh, bucket of money that you put there and then years and years, no. Here I think what happens is that you need to have a set of gates and yeah. l- look at it as a venture capitalist. I release the budget based on your performance of a gate to gate and how 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 fast you mature your proposition and value. This was something fascinating
0: about, I was reading about Google X, you mm-hmm. know, that they, they actually have the teams up front, identify all the logical failure points. Mm-hmm. Like here it, Rather than when it's going you know, to succeed, they work out all the ways that this project will fail, and every time they prove that one of those failure points is not true, they get the next tranche of money. Yes,
1: so I think that's <laughs> the that is uh, uh, Mike, uh, one of the 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 thing that I feel is missing in majority of the company. How many of us are incentivized? by failures and the learning, so not only failures for the sake of failing. We all say we want to fail fast, but how many companies have a KPI to say, dear Alexander, you have failed uh, 20 times this year and you have learned, so you're never gonna, you know, bring that uh, wrong thinking into a new product, and uh, here you go, more funding for it, not many. If
0: If you fail fast, you rise slow. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It yeah. can be. So I think that's a, that's a major thing. And I think the last one, uh, Mike, where I think the majority of the companies in transformation are undermining is the end-to-end um, transformation. So it's not only changing the mindset of innovators in the front-end work and concept visualization and getting to the product, but let me tell you this thing. We all talk about subscription models, we all talk about disrupting ourselves from one-off payment to a multi, you know, and we see what is happening. How many of our sales guys in the companies around the world are going to be incentivized with the number of subscribers versus number of boxes that they shift along the year? So what is happening is that that transformation is coming very late in most of the organizations, but actually can become a bottleneck yeah. in the entire thing. And I think that's a blind spot of many organizations. There. In that
0: the, the, the business model doesn't match the business ambition.
1: Correct, yeah. correct. And while you are saying we should transform and we should go there and we see all what is happening with the large organizations oh. in the globe, uh, when it comes to executing that, even if you come up to the viable business model, exe- organization is not ready to execute it, and that's this a big, is big so issue. This is so
0: important because I, I think people fall, fall into a trap thinking about startups, uh, and, mm. and it's, for me, it's a bit of a myth because you know creating the product or the idea is difficult, but uh, all, even startups at some point get scale. Yep. And, and they become large organizations. And then they all have the same problems as everyone else. I yep. mean, because a complex world often requires complex an organization. Yep. So we have to find innovation that scales up know, through all those levels and complexity.
1: Correct, and I think that is maybe the benefit of lar- large organizations is that when it comes to a scaling, the, maybe the infrastructure is not perfect for the new business model, but it's closer to the face. And I've been uh, personally in a situation when we develop a lot of good stuff and then it became okay now you are going from a phase one of being an ad hoc startup non-process related uh, kind of organization to something that says okay listen now this is becoming a serious business now we need to Put, you know, the structure in place, but that is where you need to be very careful because if you bury the old structure to a new model, uh, you can fail very quickly. So, I think that's, a, that's really a, a, almost like a paradox of scaling fast in an organized way. Yeah.
0: You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.